folks. Welcome to another episode of Catch Up, the podcast about contemporary hip-hop that examines where hip-hop has been, where it's going, and where it is. I'm Jordan Suwami. And I'm James Rathbone. And we're back. Back again uh, with another episode for you guys. This one is uh, all about the man, Scott Meskety, a.k.a. Kid Cudi. But before we get into that, we just want to give a special shout-out to uh, all of our new listeners and all of our old listeners. So as we mentioned, uh, I guess last week... There, we, we were featured on the Spotify playlist, the podcast playlist, uh, our Metro Boomin episode, which is episode 20, which is from like 2018, dude. We've been doing this podcast for a long ass time. That's crazy. Yeah. And hip hop years that were ancient. Yeah. I mean, in hip hop years, our careers are over. Yes, it's true. Strangely enough for our podcast, this is the best time for our podcast. Mm-hmm, it's true. Um, so yeah, we, we, we got from this podcast place, we got literally thousands of new listeners, which is amazing. Um, so to all those new people that came from the podcast place, some of, uh, some of whom have actually reached out to us on, on our catch up Instagram, which is at catch up podcast. We just want to say thank you. We appreciate your support. Um, make sure you're spreading the word, tell your friends. Uh, and if you haven't write an iTunes review for us, we, mm. we, we've gotten a lot of really good reviews over the years, but we haven't had one in a while. We'd love it. If you guys just express some of the stuff that you've, you've shouted us out in our, in our DMS about just on iTunes for the public to see. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I'm, it's very exciting to me to have new listeners. Uh, growing podcasts is a strange process because it's not. It's like very rare you get like a viral moment for a podcast. It's true, unless you're Joe Rogan. It's uh, it's every week. It's yeah, you know. But like for the rest of us, are aliens real? Yeah, and then people no, are like, no, they're definitely real. They're hot. They're yeah. hot. Aliens are hot, man. <laughs> Would you fuck an alien? I will fuck an alien. Yeah. <laughs> He's always like, wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> um yeah so you know it's nice to have this opportunity to have a bunch of new listeners glad you've stuck around with us and uh hope you enjoy all the new content we have coming yes we and we have a lot coming we also want to give a special shout out to our patreon subscribers we've Mm -hmm. gotten a few ones a lot uh a few new ones in the last week we want to shout you guys out thank you very much um we have a lot more planned and if you guys are listening right now and you're like how can i support the podcast outside of telling my friends outside of writing review you can join us on patreon um like all of the contributions of support there do go a long way in uh, helping us grow this podcast as you know we've been doing this podcast for years we've invested a lot of our own money into it and we want to keep doing it and we want to make sure that it's continuing to grow so to take a look at our patreon it's patreon.com slash catch up podcast and uh consider joining us yeah. And uh, lastly, uh, if you could, uh, if you're listening to this right now, take a screen cap on your phone, post it on your Instagram stories, uh, tag us. It's always just like, a li- honestly, do it. It's just like a little bit of uh, sunlight, you know, in, a, in a, the dark Toronto winter when I, I get a notification that someone's listening. Yes. Always appreciate it. Uh, it means a lot to us. Yes. Shout out, shout out to uh, the homie Tim Coates Villain out, mm-hmm. uh, out in Pennsylvania, who, who's always showing us love. Yes. Um. Good man. Indeed. Great stories. Always oh, like, yeah. reposting great memes. Great and content. Mis- yeah, great, great. Great content. content. Um, yeah, Tim and I go back. Do you? We go back to like the early 2000s. I didn't know that. Yes, I'll tell you all about it off mic, just oh. so I'm not putting his business all out here. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's the homie. Um, yeah, so before we get into this episode about Kid Cudi, what we want to do is, you know, we've been asking you guys to send in your questions, which we've appreciated, those of you that have, and we want you to continue to do so. And if we haven't asked your question, just know that we're banking these questions and we're going to bring them up. Uh, we're going to do them in two different ways. We're going to do some in a mailbag episode and some we're just going to do before an episode about a different topic like today's. Mm-hmm. So we got a question from um, a loyal listener uh, named Ben. 
So Ben asked, this is like back in March. <laughs> so hopefully so you have, you're still interested in the answer. I'm to sorry, question. Ben. I'm sorry, Ben. But Ben asked, he's like, are you, are y'all going to do an episode on Jay Electronica's new album? Um, and we're not gonna do we're not gonna do an episode on Jay Electronica's new album. We're not gonna do an episode on Jay Electronica's new album. Maybe there will be a newer album that we do a whole episode on. Yeah, but let's talk about Jay Electronica's 2020 because he's had a very interesting year. This has probably been the most interesting year musically of his career since he came out mm-hmm. in like 2007, eight, which is crazy. Yeah, I mean it's. Uh... You know, I think I made the the joke early in pandemic that, of course, like the world's ending when Jay Electronic actually releases his debut album. That mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, joke isn't funny anymore, but uh, it's still ring. There's still some truth behind the joke mm-hmm. uh, because uh, it. I mean, I just never thought it was going to happen. You know, I thought it was just like this is this is just he's going to tour for a while. People are going to lose interest, and then then that's it. You know what what else was annoying about Jay Electronica and this album is that like about whether or not he was going to release music is that in the intervening year since he came out in 2008 or whatever and then didn't put out put out this like long awaited album but he actually came through this year and like and he put out two two albums came out mm-hmm. so it was a kind of like the long awaited original project yeah and then um the new one a written testimony which was basically it was almost like a collaborative album with Jay-Z mhm um and both were really solid, I would say. Yeah. I would say I actually preferred the second release, which was the the long-awaited one, mm-hmm. even though it was kind of incomplete and, and, and more sketch-like at times. Um, the the I did like the, fir- the first one, too, with Jay-Z, but um, it wasn't... I didn't enjoy the production as much, I would say, mm-hmm. on that one. Um, it felt a little... I don't know. It didn't... It just didn't didn't really sit with me in the way that some of the stuff from his older stuff felt the productions still still sound sort of timeless to me. I don't know. Yeah. So the second project is called Act Two, The Patents of Nobility. Yeah. I mean, I, re- I do really like Jay Electronica. I mean, uh, he's, he's such an interesting artist that where it's like he's it's almost kind of come full circle where I think if he had released this stuff four or five years ago, it might not have actually made as big a splash as it did this year. Because uh, just in terms of where music is sort of trending, it's like the, the sort of sound cloudy stuff and melodic stuff is sort of crested a bit trend wise. And so it sounded just a little bit more f- fresh again. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is a definitely a year where a lot where sort of more lyrical rap has uh, become more mainstream, like with Griselda, Griselda or yeah. Freddie Gibbs or whoever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, you know, I I do I do like it. I mean, not without doing a full episode on it going in. I think um yeah, it's sort of an interesting he's he's just a very distinct rapper because he he is you know, there used to be this kind of concept that I think is long gone where rap is is poetry, you know? Like mm-hmm, remember people mm-hmm. used to kind of say that kind of thing. There's like a hilarious clip in the Little Wayne documentary oh my God. where like a like a Dutch uh, journalist. journalist asked like, him about his poetry. He's like, he's like, do you see yourself in connected to a, you know, the jazz tradition in your poetry? And you can see Wayne like bristle, and he's like, <laughs> I'm not a poet or a jazz artist. And he's like, Yes, but in, in your in your jazz and your poetry, do you? <laughs> <laughs> and then Wayne basically just like ends the interview. He's like, yeah. he's like, Nah, I don't like this dude. He's done. Yeah. And the guy's like, uh, Sir, I just want to talk to you about your poetry. <laughs> 
That guy is like just completely missing the point and forcing his own yeah, like yeah, his yeah. own agenda onto the interview. Yeah, I, yeah, I love that. It's so funny. Um, I yeah, I so I I I actually feel that Jay Electronica does have some pretty poetic lyrics. Um, you know, there's a lot of abstraction mm-hmm. in them. Some some like kind of uh more you know it's just not as quite as literal as 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 most other lyrics are these days even if they're sort of trading in metaphor about like i'm so rich that i am this or whatever Mm -hmm. these things kind of success like j electronica says very you know stuff that's like oh i mean maybe he's talking about five percent of stuff or maybe he's talking about outer space it could be the same thing yeah in the same lyric you know, or, mm-hmm. or it could be something even different, like metaphysics or something. Yeah, he also does. A, he also is really good at doing this one thing that I love when a rapper does is when they kind of encompass um, kind of their entire narrative arc in one line. Like I think of, but more like they're kind of like they're from, you know, from the outhouse to the penthouse kind of mm-hmm. situation. Like I think of a future on Mask Off where he says... And, you know, the, the verse starts like two cups toast up with the gang from food stamps to a whole nother domain. Yeah. I love that shit. Yeah, yeah. And Jay Electronica always does. He does that so much. And his story is really interesting because he was homeless. Yeah. You know, and, he, and he'll and he have lines about like, you know, from being homeless to being with the Rothschild and like all that kind of stuff. And I and I, I like never tire of hearing that mm-hmm. kind of like that kind of line in, in hip hop. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, even like his sort of breakout song exhibit C where he's like, <clears throat> I was uh, sleeping on the train without a single slice of pizza to my name. That's just like such a, a beautiful way of, of, of putting that. Yes, you know? absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, let's let's play a little bit from one Jay Electronica song before we get into Cuddy Land. Mm. Is there anything you would uh, be interested in hearing? Maybe a Ghost of Soldier Slim. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Let's listen to a bit of Ghost of Soldier Slim by Jay Electronica. If it come from me and hold, consider it Quran. If it come from any of those, consider it Haram. The minaret that jigger blew me on the stone where the rock was crafted so beautifully. Consider this a dime. From a hard place in the rock to the rock nation of Islam, I emerged on the wave that title made the drop bombs. I came to bang with the scholars and I bet you a Rothschild I get a bang for my dollar. The synagogue of Satan want me to hang by my collar, but all praise due to a loss upon the water to Allah. I put on for my nation like I'm King T'Challa. Crushing the Ojibu that try to bring Mahala. You want it, I got it. Don't make me have to blast this ride. Uh, so James, tell me, when did you first hear of Kid Cudi? So I first heard of Kid Cudi in, in the year 2008. Um... 2008 was the year I first kind of started getting into DJing, and that was like using a pirated uh, version of Tractor right off my, you know, black MacBook uh, through the the UX cable, and like you know, no headphones, just kind of. What the fuck is an UX? Isn't that what an aux? Auxiliary. I mean, it's an auxiliary cable. UX auxiliary. It's not an auxiliary cable. Ox, I, I guess it's like the more mask version of it. Uh, ox is the more feminine, delicate version. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, so at that time, like, and in, in here, in terms of hearing sort of like hip hop uh, in in clubs, uh, bars, like you really had only a few options in Toronto at the time. Hmm. You could go to like a downtown club and they would sort of be playing the like Swizz Beats, uh, f- you know, 50 Cent, 
stuff that would be or like Busta Rhymes, um, you know, kind of like New York club music. Yes. Uh, and that would usually be a lot of top 40 would be put into that. Sometimes, you you, you know, you might get something really unfortunate, like, uh, you know, kind of like a clubby remix of it of that kind of music mm-hmm. but you and and they, those places you needed to wear there was a dress code you needed to wear dress shoes like a uh, a button-up shirt wow what a dark time in society <sighs> it was rough some places you couldn't wear jeans wow imagine that i put on my church pants with this yeah exactly Come on. yeah and that was all basically racist you know a strange sort of racist policy yeah um so that was one option to hear to hear hip-hop the other option was to there was like kind of some Sort of like uh, West End, like kind of Queen Street bars that would sometimes do like an old school night. What's uh, describe West End Queen, Queen Street for our international? So, uh, if you've ever been to like a uh, like a gentrifying neighborhood <laughs> in the last ten years, yeah. you know, there's like a di- like dive bars that are real dive bars or faux dive bars. So they're like they are not the not place where they're like dive bars where there's like. You know, drunks hang out and everything. The drinks are really cheap and that are real dive bars. And then they're like dive bars are like kind of like student bars, but with like a like the divey aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and they these kind of places could literally be both or either. Like they could it kind of like it's like they're aiming to be the, the latter category, but they're really just a real dive, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so places like there were there were a bunch of DJs still at that time who were like uh in the sort of scratching DMC hip, like, you know, cargo pants, backpack style DJs who were around. Yeah. Um, who would pl- who played, uh, yeah, like they play sort of um, breakdancing music. Mm-hmm. In my, is what I would sort of call it. Uh, which is, which, you know, at the time you're like, that's, I'll take that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, Last the last sort of place you could hear there was a, there was a few DJs like a, a, a sort of legendary DJ DJ Dopey in Toronto yes, he would do Nights right. of the Drake that again would probably skew a little bit more reggae but hearing sort of like contemporary hip hop there was the the only places you could really ever hear it was sometimes people like myself sort of uh, like a contemporary sort of like either really hip hip hop again the non like sort of uh, bad hot 97 stuff like was at sort of these like more hipstery bars Mm -hmm. and uh who sort of dirty south stuff and again sometimes you'd have to suffer through sort of uh remixes to your favorite songs like a three six mafia electro dance remix or something like that this is a big lead into the kid cuddy thing because like Kid Cudi's early rise is so connected to mashup culture. Mm-hmm. Um, that was such a big thing. Before you, we get into that, it's actually because you're talking about like Toronto in 2008. Mm-hmm. I was at uh, Western, the University of Western Ontario, which is in London, Ontario. Um, so for our, our international listeners, it's like it's it's known as being a, a good academic school, but it's also known as being like basically arguably Canada's biggest party school. For sure. And at the time when I when I lived there, so I was in my second year of university in 2008, and it was like, man, I can't, you know, you want to talk about like, you know, racist vibes in, in bars and clubs. Like mm-hmm. London was like booming with the racism, mm-hmm. like when it comes, especially when it comes to music. Like, I, like you, you basically, all of the major clubs you went to, you would never hear any hip hop. Right. It was just like mostly top 40 mm-hmm. with some EDM. And, you know, I remember, you know, a friend of Boosie Fade, 
uh, and a collaborator, John Hibinata, who's mm-hmm. our photographer, videographer for our events. He was a DJ. Um, and he would, so he would always DJ like a lot of the events that I promoted when I was in London. And I remember we, you'd be waiting all night hoping to hear like a fucking Katy Perry song with a rap verse on it. Like that's how bad it was. Right, right. That was like the extent of our, of like our, I remember once I requested, and this is at the height of like Crank That Soldier Boy. I was mm-hmm. in this bar called Jack's in London, Ontario. <laughs> right. And I went to DJ and I was like, um, can you play Crank That Soldier Boy? Yeah. Mostly because I knew the dance and I really wanted to show it off. I yeah. was like, oh, you motherfuckers need to he's, see somebody who knows that. He still knows the dance I and it's very good at it. <laughs> the real Jordan comes out when Crank That comes on. <laughs> yes. So I remember requesting this for the DJ and the guy like, the guy like looked at me and he's like, we don't play that shit here. Right. And I was like, you could have just said, we're not, you just could have said no. You know, why do you have to say it like that? Why yeah, do you have yeah. to like, he said it with such venom in his voice, mm-hmm. but that's just like what like culture was at that time mm-hmm, for sure just just to finish this thought fast forward to like two years ago i was on facebook and i saw a video from western in you know 2018 mm-hmm. and they're fucking playing migo songs you know what i yeah, mean yeah, like yeah. just like the whole culture has shifted and yeah. like hip-hop is more dominant and more accepted as top 40 but anyway that's just like that's just a, a you know a, p- a picture into where like you know hip-hop was and especially in clubs in 2008 exactly so there was kind of this, there was a certain brand of uh, DJs around um, America who were releasing uh, these sort of hip hop mixes or hip hop mixtapes that kind of straddled the line of um, like the electro dance music and hip hop that came out of that time. Um, you know, uh, this was a time when Kanye really stronger, uh, you know, that's right. That's uh, right. The inf- there was kind of like a a pretty strong influence. I mean, this was, you know, argue, arguably, this was like the the peak of that kind of music that, in terms of its coolness, like the electro hipster dance Absolutely. music. Absolutely, this is like big Stevie Oki time. Yeah, um, you know, like uh, Justi- Diplo. Justice. Yeah, Justice. Is it Justice or is it Justice? I've heard both. Well, I think for French people, it's Justice. Yeah, uh, and so if you want to be pretentious, you say Justice. Okay, Justice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so anyway. Um, yeah, there was DJs. Uh, there was one in particular I followed named DJ Benzi, who released uh, these great remix, two two great remix uh, mixtapes for Lil Wayne and Clips, and also did would release these sort of semi regular, just sort of party mixes that would really sort of encompass the um, the spirit of the time by like putting um, a notorious Big verse over like an Uffy song uh-huh. or something like that or uh-huh. like a, a simian mobile disco goes into ti kind of thing so the, I, I since this was when i was starting to dj i had to play a bit of this kind of thing i would sort of it was either i could have like a set that was sort of like old schooly and play like wu-tang and pharaoh Monch and and old dirty bastard and uh california love and stuff like uh-huh. that or you could play like a, a sort of electro thing and you could it kind of would go in between. You play a little MIA or like Santi Gold mm. or Bloody Beat Roots or something like that. And then you go into 3 Six Mafia, uh, Young Jock, etc. Wow. And so, I mean, and at the time, again, like there was this, there was this amazing club opened by a legendary club owner, Peter Gation mm-hmm. in Toronto called Circa. Circa. I used to promote there. Yeah. And I, I, I was a regular, there was a Friday night thing called random land which was like where yes, all the hip ki- right. kids in toronto went every friday and they would have like 
people in those like glass mirrors that mm-hmm. were like dressed up got, as different yeah. characters. Yeah, yeah. How could that place ever make money? Like, it didn't. I mean, it, it was open <laughs> for six months. Like, yeah. was it six months? No, it was like six months, and then I think it closed and then reopened with like new investments. Okay, and, and it then was, it was just, and it was like rapidly wh- diminished. Yes, yes. Exactly. There was no. They didn't have like contortionists or yes. whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was like it was just kind of like I think probably because most of the people there were on drugs. Yeah. That it didn't make as much money as it could. But it wasn't even that expensive either. Yeah. I mean, just for everyone else, this was like a massive club in downtown Toronto. It was like f- five stories or something like that. Yeah. It had had th- had a main room. It had an escalator inside. Yeah. It had an escalator inside. It was. It's now like a Marshalls. A Marshalls clothing like reseller. Um. It, it yeah it had like a bathroom dj unisex bathrooms mm. it had uh i think it would have like at least five djs at any given point definitely they have a main room dj rooms, there were rooms. two different rooms upstairs um so yeah i mean you know I, I saw clips there i saw crystal castles there i saw dj premiere there which i think gives you the full range of the type of performers there i saw diplo there i'm sure uh anyway kid Cudi comes out and he is the first artist, in my opinion, uh, he comes out with a song called Day and Night. Mm-hmm. And it is it is the first artist, I think, that was really organically in the middle of hip-hop and electro. Not like, not kind of like someone from the electro side dabbling into hip-hop uh-huh, or uh-huh. hip-hop dabbling into electro. Like an M- you could argue an MIA or, or Santi Gold. Or, but I feel like even MIA was like on the borderline of the hip hop exactly, mainstream, and exactly. even Santi Gold to some degree. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So this was like it, it, and it, and the thing was, it was like his first song hit so hard, mm-hmm. day and night. I mean, it, it it got pretty quickly got a bloody beat roots remix. No, it was Crookers. Crookers. Yes. Sorry. Uh, Crooker's remix, which became the defa- kind of the definitive version, and of I think it. that's the one that really that's the one that blew him up. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it, it's uh, the original Day and Night was produced by Dot the Genius, right? Who's like Kid Cudi's long, long time producer to, to this day. To this day, and um, yeah, when this Crooker's remix came out, it really because this is also the height of like that two that late two thousands electro movement, mm-hmm. which was like a lot of like you know it was like the Bloody Beat Roots, Stevie Oki. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what, what was the, just the Steve Aoki's label like Dim Mac uh, yeah, from Boys LA. Noise, Boys Noise, Ed yes. Banger Records from uh, France. From France, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a lot going on. Like, and this song just blew up. It really captured. Uh, I don't know. There, there was also like the song, the original Day and Night, and Day and Night in general is just like there's a certain like kind of like somber tone to it. Mm-hmm. Yet the music is somewhat um, upbeat. Yes, so exactly. it's it's almost like a celebration of like sadness. Yeah, yeah. I kind of remember one of the funny memory I have from uh, Kid Cudi about Kid Cudi was that the summer 2008. I was working as a busboy at this like kind of sh- not very good but expensive restaurant in Yorkville, which is like a fancy neighborhood here, and. Um, there was a Kid Cudi show at the Drake, which is like a, it was like a hundred, it's a hundred person venue. It was in the mm-hmm. Drake Underground. And I remember being like, ah, I probably should work and make my like $40 in tips instead of going to this like Kid Cudi show with a hundred people at the Drake, which is like, 
Yeah, I was like, I'll just catch him next time. You yeah. know, he'll be. At, I'm sure he'll be at another small venue again before he like blows up. And then like within like a year and a half, he's like nominated for a Grammy, yeah. and, and <laughs> you know, it's been picked up by Kanye, Kanye West. West yeah. So, so let's let's actually listen to a little bit of Day and Night. Should we listen to the remix or the or the let's original? The remix. Yeah, the the remix. Just so you understand where where we were in the culture at the yeah. time. So this is the Crookers remix of Day and Night by K. Cuddy. Uh, day and night. I toss and turn, I keep stressing my mind, mind I look for peace, but see I don't attain What I need for keeps the silly game we play Game we play Now look at this Madness the magnet keeps attracting me, me I try to run, but see I'm not that fast I think I'm first, but surely finish last Finish last, 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 I mean, for me, for me, I, 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 I would imagine it was day and night that kind of got me into it. And then I went, I, I went, I remember going online and finding uh, Kid Cudi's first project, mm-hmm. first mixtape, A Kid Named Cudi. Yes. Which was put out by uh, the streetwear brand 10, 10 Deep. Deep. She also uh, put out Wale's early records, wow. right, mixtapes as well, yeah. And I think it, uh, and I think it was also a collaboration with Fools Gold. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, but this this project is like pretty good. Yeah. Like, and I remember I, I I had a there was just something so unique about Kid Cudi off the bat to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was just like yeah, I mean you know a lot of people you know we'll get into this a little later, but there's like there's Kid Cudi's a very divisive figure for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And even in like you know the kind of rapturous reception this album is getting in a lot of ways, and from a lot of diehard Kid Cudi fans who feel like he's finally returned to the form that they've most loved him in, mm-hmm. um, and there's a whole other like strong contingent of people who are like, "Stop with this Kid Cudi shit," mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically, yeah. Putting in in short, but so I think some people think Kid Cudi's overrated, and some people think Kid Cudi's underappreciated. The truth is obviously somewhere in the middle, yeah, but. What I liked about Kid Cudi from the beginning is that he was very, there was like an introspection to him and a, and a certain level of, I don't know, he just, he just seemed way more open at admitting his flaws in a way than that, that I was used to in, in hip hop. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about like what, especially a lot of mainstream hip hop is known for, it's like very braggadocious. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm the best because of this. I'm really good at rhyming. I'm like amazing at sex. Mm-hmm. I have many sexual partners. Yeah. I can do the most drugs and I don't get addicted to them. Yeah. Because that's not cool. Yeah. I also sell drugs the best. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like exactly. it's like. I'm really good at killing people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I have done it. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you names, but yeah. I, I have definitely done it. Yeah, many times. And I would do it again. And I, you know? I happily. <laughs> but Kid Cudi was like, you know. I have trouble sleeping. Yeah, you know what yeah I mean? exactly. Like, he's like the lonely uh, stoner tries to free his mind at night. Yeah, or, or like you know, uh, I didn't feel cool. I didn't have the you know nice yeah, clothes. Yeah. Like it was, it was all stuff that like you know at various points in my life I was like, oh, I felt like this. Yeah, yeah. And like the way that he was rapping and singing about it was also, you know, it was it was very there was a lot of self acceptance in it, mm-hmm. and and that's and that's what really stuck out to me about his music. And I also thought he he was just kind of cool, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. There are some songs on this project, like, like I remember, I really, I really liked uh, "Down and Out." Mm-hmm. Like that, that was like the after the intro. That was like the first song on the, on the project. Let's actually listen to a little bit of "Down and Out" from a kid named Cuddy. Hey. 
This is my story, this is my song If you feel it, motherfucker, you can't go wrong To the screw face niggas, what you on? Get off that, get a goal and focus, dawg See, I'm what you need, you feeling now Ask around and I bet you figure out How to zone and control your future, wow Yeah, I think I'm in the future too I'm unlike fools who proceed to choose To be like them, I be like who? I be like me, Mr. K.I.D. I also I also really liked um you know he had this one song called Cleveland is the reason mm-hmm. and it was like it's basically just like Cleveland is the reason I'm cool and I was just like mm-hmm. man Cleveland is the most uncool place in the world <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, yeah. like I like you know this is even this is even before this is around the time or just before Drake came out yeah and you know a lot a lot of talk has been given to like what uh you know Drake Drake has done in terms of Toronto's international pride mm-hmm. but uh, you know before I, I I just what I liked about Kid Cudi is that he's claiming this place Cleveland, which outside of Bone Thugs and Harmony, mm-hmm. ha, doesn't have much of a major international footprint in the hip hop game, mm-hmm. and he's attributing all of his like swagger and coolness to this place that you know to most people is not considered very cool. Yeah, you know. So anyway, I just I just I just thought that he what he was bringing he was bringing like kind of a fresh energy to to the game and a new perspective or maybe, maybe not necessarily a new perspective but. A new perspective. If, uh, yeah, yeah. I think I, it did feel like a new perspective. It was kind of wrapped in a. It was definitely a new rapper, mm-hmm. uh, rapper with a W, like for for like this perspective. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah. Anyway, this project really blows his career up. You know, uh, Kanye West hears it. Kanye West signs him. Mm-hmm. He becomes a really integral part to the 808s and Heartbreaks uh, album from Kanye West. Yeah. Uh. And you you can just hear Cuddy's influence so directly on that album. Mm-hmm. Even the way that Kanye sings on it, it's yes. like it's very Cuddy yeah. influenced. And I would say for the rest of Kanye's career, Cuddy is probably his one of his most significant influences. Yeah. Also, Cuddy and Kanye have a very interesting relationship in, this, in the sense of the way that they met. Mm-hmm. Kid Cuddy moved to New York in 2004 to live with an uncle that he'd never met with, mm-hmm. just because he wanted to like kind of kick off his music career. And he got a job at the Bape store because mm-hmm. um, he was obsessed with Bape. And he he applied like four times and like like finally got in on the fourth time. Mm-hmm. And he met Kanye in the Bape store because Kanye came in and bought stuff. And I guess like Kid Cudi forgot to take off a sensor, so when he was leaving, the alarm went off. So Cudi went up and like took off the sensor, and then like, that's how they like kind of like met for the first time. It's a meet cute. That is a very meet cute. Um, anyway, I, I would I I think that uh, like you said. It's it's almost like in terms of like actual performers, Kid Cudi might be Kanye's best collaborator. Yeah, I I would say so. I mean, if you think about like all of the lights, um, uh, Father Stretch Your Hands Part One, mm-hmm. um, uh, the whole Kids See Ghosts, Gorgeous on uh, My Beautiful Records of Fantasy. Mm, yeah, I like that song. Yeah, I mean, even I, but I I actually think it's it's kind of a good segue into. Um, Cuddy's like a major date label debut or album debut debut album uh man on the moon because to me i listened to this record yesterday mm-hmm. i was like this is this is almost like this is almost kanye canon in the sense that it is so even though it is very it's obviously so cutty it is like it feels like the missing link between my beautiful dark twisted fantasy and 808s and heartbreaks interesting just sonically and is also amazing. It is such a good album. It's it is so good. It is aged impeccably. Oh my god, it's so good. It's so it, like it's it's you know, I I will say that I have been at times a, a cutty skeptic. Absolutely. I was I was that was one of the things I was thinking about. I was like, man, 
and I feel like you're somebody who is like, you know, it's almost like a, it would be a, I don't, I wouldn't go as far as to diminish you as a person to say that it would be a bedrock of your personality. <laughs> yeah. But you're definitely, to me, somebody that'd be more in the legion of the people that are like, when people are like, Kid Cudi saved my life, you'd be like, motherfucker, stop that. It's kind of true. <laughs> in the sense, I have come to appreciate uh, his outsized influence, which we'll get into a bit later. But also, I think that for me, there was like a group of rappers who came out like that I sort of came up with who I had sky high expectations for and I was personally invested in them. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm too like jaundiced now to have that with a rapper. Yeah. But uh, at the time, like if they didn't end up being like a perfect artist, basically, I was like, forget you. Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, Cuddy was one of them. You know, mm. I was really on the ground floor of it and of his, of his work. And I kind of, I, and like, I think what makes Cuddy so good to his fans is sort of his his imperfection it, mm, arguably mm-hmm, you know like mm-hmm. I, he 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 that's sort of central to his his whole identity as an artist that, that he's this imperfect person that's the identity that's and, the identity and then i think that the way that can that comes across and the fact that i think for a lot of t- people especially who are sort of hip hop fans that he was this this voice for this feeling uh, is so important. Uh, whereas, like, I've listened to sad music mo- all of my life. Mm-hmm. So, Cuddy wasn't, didn't need to, like, fill that void for me. It was just, like, this is an interesting thing that this guy is particularly doing. Just as, like, you know, F- Chief Keef was, like, this is a really interesting way to be, like, do this kind of style of, yeah. of emotion yeah. of, like, anger and aggression or or swagger or whatever. Um, so... I, I don't think I needed that personal thing, but I do think I was invested in his career sort of as an artist early on, and I, I pretty quickly got disappointed. But going back to The Man on the Moon, I was like, this, I listened to it yesterday, I was like, this is the perfect. I actually think it's maybe better than 808s and Heartbreaks, for wow. example. I, I, yeah. I would wow. Say. Interesting. And, and, uh, uh, like, it's, it's just so good. Even the the kind of commons, like kind of corny narration, yeah, yeah, on it yeah. still kind of works. I like, think so too. Yeah, you know, Com- like, common does uh, the narration on this album, like at different points, um, particularly in the intro. Um, but yeah, I mean, so there's one song I would like like to play. Uh, I mean, everyone knows "Pursuit of Happiness," which to me is still the greatest Cuddy song of all time. Wow! But uh, Cuddy Zone. Okay. From yeah. From Man on the Moon. That song, it's, I was listening to it yesterday. I was like, oh my God, this song is fantastic. Okay. It's, it is so good. So Let's make- listen to a little bit of Cuddy Zone from uh, Man on the Moon. Yeah. One. Soaring, it's just so loud. I should have bet my daddy proud. A little nigga with a shaky smile. On top of the dreams is where I'm found. Some figured I was Satan bound. Until I came back with a style I found. Then all of a sudden they fixed their faces. Because of who I know when the trail of places that I've stepped. How many niggas want to hate because I left? How could you blame me and my plan attack? Because I'm risking my soul attack. Now I'm hurt all over the map. Hold me rule of thumb. It don't really matter to um, I, I, I feel like, you know, I definitely don't say this that much publicly anymore. Um, because it's become cliche in some ways, but I'm definitely one of the one of the Cuddy saved my lifers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pr- that's definitely hyperbole. Like it wasn't like my life was necessarily going to end right. if I hadn't listened to Kid Cuddy. But I mean, I, re- I remember I was in university and you know I got really depressed. You know, living in this small town uh, full of racists. Quite frankly, mm-hmm. um, both the students I went to at Western and the the local townspeople that I encountered. Some of them, not all of them, some of them. Right. Um, Anyway, I didn't didn't really 
didn't really have a great outlet for it. Definitely had a had a lot of like you know a lot of great black friends that went to like the same university as me, but like it was weird because it was like you never really talked about these kind of like in this case for me it was like just particularly various strains of weird racism mm-hmm. this is before the term microaggressions like existed mm-hmm. and you like didn't even really know how to like calibrate what was happening to you you mm-hmm. know and even amongst my like a lot of my black friends it's like i i don't even really remember that much ever talking in depthly about like just weird racism on mm-hmm. campus you might make a joke here or there anyway all this to say i think this contributed to this like depression i was feeling in, in like 2009 uh or so and then when this Kid Cudi album came out, it, it just really, I don't know, it was, I found it very soothing. Mm-hmm. And there was one song in particular that I really identified with. And not just me, but like I remember I, ha- I had three roommates at the time, three, three close friends. And like we all were like really into Kid Cudi. Yeah. And we all, I think, I'm sure there's also like, you know, there's so much going on with yourself as a young adult. Like I was like in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. And like, we were, you know, you're all like coming of age and trying to figure out what's going to happen with the rest of your life. And you, there's, a, there's a certain bit of like, there's a certain sense of uncertainty, not to mention what was happening in the world at the time, which is like, you know, the 2008 global financial crisis. Yeah. There was like, which also amplified it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, the one song that I feel like really connected with all of us the most, and even to this day, is my favorite song from this album. And I also, I actually think this song is like absolutely like, it's a perfect song, production, lyrics. Like there's no bad, li- like every lyric bangs. Mm-hmm. It's a song called Soundtrack to My Life. Oh, yeah. And I was listening to it. I just put it on a few weeks ago as this album was coming out. I was like, oh my God, to this day, it's a perfect song. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's listen to a little bit of uh, Soundtrack to My Life by Kid Cudi. I got 99 problems and they all bitches wish I was digging man. Carefree living, but I'm not Sean or Martin Louis. I'm the Cleveland nigga rolling with the Brooklyn boy. You know how I be when you start living large. I control my own life. Charles was never in charge. No sitcom can teach Scott about the drama or even explain the troubles that haunted my mom. On Christmas time, my mom Christmas crying. Got me most of what I wanted. How'd you do it, mom? Huh? She got the toys. I would play with in my room by myself while he by himself. He got two older brothers, one hood, one good. Independent, older sister kept me flying when she could. But they all didn't see the little bit of sadness in me. Scotty. So, anyway, this album comes out. It's, uh, you know, it is a. You know, it was pretty critically savage, actually. Yeah. It was like, it was a, it was like, it's kind of like when you look at a Rotten Tomato score and the, the top critics give it like 40% and then the audience score is like 90%. Yeah. That's what this Kid Cudi album was. 100%. Like, I'm John Caramonica in the New York Times, like, like, savaged the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pitchfork savaged it. Like, I think Pitchfork savaged everything he's ever done. That's true. That's true. Um, so a lot, a lot of critics kind of didn't really know what to make of Kikadi outside of just being like, they didn't, it's like they didn't really get it or mm-hmm. they, they didn't want to get it. Yes. But the people really liked it. Yeah. And it made Cuddy a massive star. You know, like pretty soon after this, he started acting. He was on uh, How to Make It in America, the HBO show about streetwear, which is truly before its time. Um, I'm not saying it was a good show. Yeah. <laughs> it did get good. I feel like by the end of the second season, it started to get good. Yeah. But like, I haven't, I haven't rewatched it since then, but I will say... It objectively was not good in the early parts of it, but it was before its time. Like streetwear was just not an accepted. Mm-hmm. People didn't even get. It. I didn't get what streetwear was. I was like, "Isn't that like Levi's?" Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. What? Is, what do you mean? It was well. Part of it was also the timing. Just to go on a totally total tangent, the timing of it was actually in a little bit of a limbo period for streetwear. Like by that time, I'm sure the pit show was probably pitched in 2007, where there was like sec- like streetwear has like three waves. 
so far. There's the first wave in the 90s, just to give a little micro history lesson here. Wow. So, yeah, you have Stussy, Zoo York, which got sold to like a mega corporation and became like a sort of mall standby, and Supreme were like the original New York sort of streetwear companies. Stussy wasn't New York based, but anyway. Then in the 2000s, you have the Bathing Ape era mm. with the SB Dunks, 10 Deep. Crooks, um, Crooks and Castles. Crooks and Castles, uh, Hundreds, um, Japanese denim, mm. broadly, like nudies and... Uh, Avisu? Avisu, yeah. Avisu kind of was a, had broader appeal, but Avisu was definitely of that era for sure. Um, not just not... Avisu, I think, transcended like the, that world a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were a bit more successful. Uh, and, but the thing is, by 2010... A lot of the, a lot of like Ten Deep, for example, who had a couple years earlier had enough money to sponsor mixtapes, mm-hmm. had just sort of lost it, you mm-hmm. know. And so then in in like two thousand, you know, Supreme was sort of bridged because of Odd Future, mm-hmm. who came out in two thousand ten. But a lot of the other stuff that they're talking about in that show in two thousand seven would have been the coolest of the cool. But by the time it gets on TV in two thousand ten, it's like they're moving on to the next thing, and and kind of the next thing was like higher end fashion that's right like balenciaga and stuff meeting with streetwear which like you know easy and uh, i don't know uh like you have palace and yeah. all these other things that sometimes work with these so we're in the stuff. third wave of streetwear we're in the third wave and of in the third wave of kid Cudi also yes which i think i think uh yeah so anyway so that's why that show didn't work it was it was it was too late on the wave that it was selling wow it's yeah. very interesting. Can yeah. you let go of my shirt? Like, why do you get so intense <laughs> about this? Um, <laughs> but, okay, so let's talk about Second Wave Cuddy. So this is, like, after the... His first two records. His first two records. But, um, so, like, yeah, he, you know, he gets... Day and Night gets nominated for Best Rap Song at the Grammys in 2010, which is, like, huge. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on the freshman, the t- 2009 freshman list. Very funny uh, freshman class. Asher Roth, Wale, B.O.B., Charles Hamilton, Corey Guns. Blue, Mickey Fax, Ace Hood, and Currency. I think there's never been uh, that. There's never been actually. It's funny because, like, I think if you look at some of the other years, like 2016, for example, where it was like all of the they got it all right. Every rapper yeah. almost who's on it, it was it had a huge career. 2000. Part of the thing with when Cuddy comes out is that there. Are, it's like when the record industry is breaking down, basically. Mm. Like, finally, CDs, people aren't buying CDs anymore. Streaming doesn't really exist e- era mm. either. It's like kind of the MP3 blog era. Mm-hmm. And um, career, there were just so many like false starts in rap careers at yeah. that time. Yeah. And I, and I think it's also like, this is also, you know, where, where rap is kind of figuring out where it's going to go in the sense of like, I remember GQ had this one story about the three the three main figures the three main figures who were po- poised to dominate the next generation of rap which were wale drake and kid cuddy mm-hmm. and these like how they were so different from your traditional rap star just as an aside man it's so funny looking at these these double xl freshman lists like from like 2009 or probably from any year and you're mm-hmm. like they just have no women on these lists and yeah it's just it's like true. and that was just like fine yeah yeah yeah, it's, yeah. it's wild yeah um anyway uh yeah, so, but Kid Cudi, while all this is happening, is kind of going through a lot personally. Mm-hmm. Like, shit is going left in his life. He's struggling from addiction. He gets addicted to cocaine. 
He's obviously has an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Mm-hmm. You know, he's obviously smoking a lot of weed. Mm-hmm. So there's like a lot of like chemicals going on combined with like any other like, you know, mental health issues he already has. Mm-hmm. And he has this one incident where he, where he gets arrested in New York for drugs for, with uh, for cocaine. And he for a period of time after that quits cocaine cold turkey. But like he was just kind of acting out. There's this, a moment where he like punches a fan at, mm-hmm. like, oh, at, yeah. at one time. And like, you know. He was just reckless. I also remember seeing a lot of like interviews with him where he was such a dick mm-hmm. in a way that was like so like, you know, and later he talked about it and he said that he just wasn't really comfortable always like opening up, opening up about his personal feelings with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why he acted that way. You know, like, obviously, I understand it's a tough situ- situation to be in, but also like this is your motherfucking job, dude. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, but I think that he said one of the things that he said is that he like would use drugs to cope with interviews mm-hmm. to be able to do them. Mm-hmm. And then obviously got out of hand because he's obviously also partying and he's yeah, like, yeah. you know, in these like celebrity circles and whatnot. And anyway, so all this is happening at the same time. And it's like it was a really weird like dichotomy to see his like public pers- persona mm-hmm. at this time because he was just like he was kind of always acting out and like never really getting in that much trouble for it. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, this is going to end badly. Yeah. You know, like anyway. So in 2012, he releases a a rock album with, with his producer, Doc genius. It's called wizard. Um, and what can I say other than I fucking hated it? I gotta be honest. I never listened to it. I knew, knew what to expect. It was not for me. It was, uh, you know, one thing I really respect about Kid Cudi, which also made it frustrating to be a fan of his, is that he is like one of those artists, you know, it's like, what's that Brian Adams song? Is it Summer of 69? Yeah. Like, you know, some artists, they have a, a huge song and they don't want to perform it for some reason. Yeah. It's like, motherfucker, why else are we here? Yeah. yeah We're yeah. not here to hear anything else. You better play that song. Kid Cudi was the kind of artist that was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to play my, you know, he was, yeah. he was like, he didn't want to lean too much into his old stuff. And he's like, I'm not, my artistic journey is taking me to this new place, mm-hmm. which on, on an artistic sense, in an artistic sense, I can understand and respect. Mm-hmm. But as a fan, I was like, motherfucker, stop. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what are you trying to stop? You yeah. know? And Kikadi did that. So he did that with, uh, with the wizard album, mm-hmm. but he also, you know, he was also on, um, a beautiful artist of fantasy in a few significant moments. He won a Grammy for, uh, his work on all of the lights mm-hmm. in, in 2012. So there was all this stuff going on. Kid Cudi is like, kind of like, you know, some, some of his fans really like this album and I think a lot of them hated it. Yeah. And I think this is, for me, this is where I sort of started to tap out a little bit on Kid Cudi. I was mm-hmm. kind of like, you know what? Like, I, th- I think, I, I think I, I compare it to, uh, it's almost like I compare it to like how I felt about Wiz Khalifa. Like mm-hmm. I was super into Wiz Khalifa in 2007, 2008, mm-hmm. 2009 even. And then by the time he signed with Atlantic and put out his first major album, which had maybe two or three good songs on it, I, I, I liked that Black and Yellow song. Right. And I liked, he had a song with Too Short called uh, On My Level. Mm-hmm. That was really good. Mm-hmm. But on the album, it was just it was just like what you would expect from like a major label debut from an artist, just like completely like watered down and yeah. hit chasing and all this stuff. And I felt like Kid Cudi, even though he wasn't necessarily hit chasing, but yeah, my whole thing with with Wiz Khalifa is like, you know what? He gave me three or four mixtapes that I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna let him make his millions. I'm not gonna be there with him. I'm not gonna listen to his music, but I'm happy for him that he's successful. Mm-hmm. That's all. Like that's sort of like with Cudi, I, I felt that way in a different in a, in a different sense. I was like, you know what? I don't think he's gonna necessarily make music that I like anymore. Yeah. But the music that he's made in the past that I do like, I really appreciate. So maybe I'm not gonna follow him on this journey, but I'm happy for him to do what he needs to do to you know to 
fulfill his artistic ambitions and be successful in whatever way he wants to. Mm-hmm. That's sort of how I felt about Cuddy at this point. Then in 2013 comes out with the Indica Indica album. Yeah. And there's actually one really good, I mean for me, a really good like Kid Cuddy song that's very much in the mold of the Man on the Moon uh era and it's um Just What I Am is the song. Mm. And so this song has a uh, King Chip is a Cleveland, a Cleveland, another a, Cleveland rapper. Another Cleveland rapper who Kid Cudi was close with from the very beginning. Like uh, King Chip is on uh, a kid named Cudi and stuff. So if you're familiar with the old meme where it's like interior crocodile alligator, that was it from a King Chip uh, freestyle radio freestyle that became like a meme. That was like one dude, of the first memes. Dude, this this thing was like it became a TikTok hit recently. Oh, good for him. Yeah, it's like 70, 70 million. Oh, that's such a nice, yeah. nice story. It is a nice story until I, I you check out his Instagram, which I did recently. Oh, no. And yeah, he is a he's an anti-vaxxer uh, Candace Owens fan. <laughs> Oh, I was yeah. wondering because like one of the things I was thinking about was like, why is King Chip, who's been a part, who's such a big part of Kid Cudi's early career, not featured in this album? Like, what happened? Like, did they fall out or like yeah, what was yeah. the situation? And I went to his Instagram. I'm like, oh, he's like a Candace Owens supporter. Yeah. Which I mean, based on Kid Cudi's relationship with Kanye, might you know you think might work in his favor, but yeah, like yeah. I don't know. He's just like anyway. Also, say I just want to play a little bit of Just What I Am because this is like from the Indica Indica album, and I think this is like for me. I was like. Okay, like Cuddy has some elements of his of like his old style, and it's like really kind of appealing. So let's listen to a bit of uh, just what I am. I'm just what you may got. Not many I trust. I'ma go my own way, God. Take my fate to wherever you want. I'm out here on my son. Won't stop till I get me some. Club hopping, trying to get me some. Bad bitches want to get me sprung. Early in the morning, I'm waking, baking, drinking, contemplating. Ain't no such thing as Satan. Evil is what you make it. Thank the Lord for that burning bush. That big body beans I was born to push. On my way, I'm burning kush. Nigga, don't be worried about us. Neighbors knocking on the door. Asking, can we turn it down? I say, ain't no music on. She said no that weed is loud. Anyway, just looking at the uh the streaming numbers on this from Spotify, uh just what I am is 135 million wow. uh, streams. And the next closest song is like is 35 million streams, which is King Wizard. So I mean, those are still pretty good numbers, but like to me, this is very indicative of like what the fans want from Kid Cudi. Mm-hmm. And he's like you know, the rest of this album has like a has some interesting features as Kendrick Lamar, Too Short, uh, Father John Misty. You know, right? His Haim on here, right? Damn, in twenty thirteen, yeah, Cuddy's about that action. He is, um, but like, I guess the point is, you know, it's very clear that the fans wanted Cuddy to go in a certain lane. Mm-hmm. They wanted him to zig, and he was always zagging. Yeah, and even when he would kind of throw 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 a bone to the to the audience. They would they would rapturously eat it up, mm-hmm. but he like never really went full down back into that man on the moon vibe. Yeah, it was always like experimentation. It was trying different things, and it, it just didn't always connect for me. I will say. Right. So just to speed through the rest of like some of Cuddy's other stuff. Uh, so 2014, he has a satellite flight, the journey to Mother Moon album. 2015 is a speeding bullet to heaven album. That's another. For me, really bad Kid Cudi <laughs> Speeding Bullet to Heaven. Some people, there's some people I know that really love that album. I personally could not stand it. Yeah. Um, 2016 is what I, he puts out Passion, Pain, and Demon Slaying, which, and this is also the year that he went to rehab and he's like, you know, it, exp- it expressed that he was back on drugs at this point mm-hmm. and alcohol, suffering from de- de- depression, suicidal urges. Um, he wrote this like Facebook post that was really like well received about him talking about his issues. Mm-hmm. Um, he said on on Red Table Talk, uh, the Jada Pinkett 
Willow Smith, uh, um, I forget Jada's mom's name, I'm sorry, to the Red Table talk stands to listen to catch up. Um, he said that he went to rehab and he was like fucked up on cocaine and, and alcohol. Right. And apparently this is actually a common thing for people that go to rehab because because his his thinking is like I can only go to rehab if I'm if I'm like loaded right makes sense yeah because it's like so anyway he did go to rehab started to get better I thought the Passion Pain and Demon Slaying album is pretty good mm. um it, it, there's definitely it's very much in the Kid Cudi mold mm-hmm. like in the traditional like Man on the Mood mold um but uh, there's a few songs I really like on there there's one called Frequency that I like. Uh, and then 2018, he comes out and he puts out uh, Kids See Ghosts with Kanye, which is like kind of like... His return to form, I'd say. Yeah, and I think the best received of the of the albums that Kanye appeared on right. in that in that chaotic 2018 year. Yeah, yeah, the his heel turn period. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The the Trump heel turn, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't know. I mean, meanwhile, this whole time, Kid Cudi's doing like kind of like some acting work here or there. He's like in a few movies. He's in one that you saw, James, James White. White. Yeah, yeah. You said he was good in that movie. He was good in it. Yeah, um, it suited him. So, anyway, that's all setting up to leading up to 2020, which, in my opinion, is the best year of Kid Cudi's career. He, it's his opinion too. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of weird because like. Well, this I can't even exp- the the number of things that are going on with Kid Cudi's career right now it w- mm. would spin your fucking head. Yeah, Kid Cudi's agents and his team they deserve a standing ovation because first of all these guys have made crazy money this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kid Cudi's like you know I, I've talked about this a few times, but every year Forbes magazine puts out a a list of like the the top twenty earners in hip hop. It's called the Hip Hop Cash Kings list, and I find it very interesting to look at because it's because looking at this list you can see. How somebody might not be dominant in the mainstream, mm-hmm. but it, but are actually just like killing the game. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing for me in like Russ, right. the rapper Russ. Um, it's like I'm Russ being on these lists like I think multiple times, and I'm like, whoa, I had no idea that he was this big of a rapper. Mm-hmm. But um, to me, there's no way that Kid Cudi doesn't end up on this list next year mm-hmm. because this guy's doing like a list movie and television projects. He's he was on this show that I watched um by the Italian director Luca Guagadino called We Are Who We Are. I highly recommend this show. It's a great show. Great, great show. show. Um, big fan of it. Yeah. Kid Cudi wasn't the best part of he it. He wasn't the best part of it. He was sort of, of miscast a little bit. In I my think opinion. so too. I was in one of if one of the group chats that I'm in with James, I was like, I was really shit talking Kid Cudi's acting in this for <laughs> quite some time. But for me, he gets he it, it really he's really starts to improve as the series goes on. Yeah. I think the character has more like showcase pieces and Kid Cudi does he does. He does okay. He does okay. He's he's he, just not. He doesn't really, elevate the role. He's just not cast correctly because I think he's supposed to essentially be like a super mask, like uh, tough soldier type. Uh huh. And he just doesn't read that way. Yeah. Like to the, me, lo- the lonely stoner doesn't have those yeah, vibes. Exactly. That's he's, like you know that's like an evil Terry Crews role. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Like if if you're gonna pick a rapper, he's probably the worst one to pick. Who would be a better rapper to pick for that role? Um, I was thinking about this. Um, who would I? Who would I care? Because they need to be basically be in their mid thirties. So it's sort of someone from the the two thousands. I mean, this would be. He probably isn't a good actor, but like Joe Budden would be the person. Oh that I would my put god! In wow. Yeah, that is inspired, right? Because like, he would be really good at it. Because he's he com- he's so overcompensates sometimes. Yeah, and that's essentially what the character is supposed to be that's doing. That's right. For, that's right. For sort of his like questions about like patriotism and stuff. It was Cuddy's kind of to me. 
he kind of works better as like sort of a, a you know maybe he can he can have, have flaws obviously but he's kind of nice like sweet yeah you know what I mean yeah yeah and he's supposed to be a little bit tough but anyway that's anyway. almost to say this is just one of his like a list acting roles he's about to be in a bunch of movies coming out in the next few years with like really serious directors mm-hmm. um he put out a shoe with Adidas this yeah. year. Uh, he had he put out a few Lucy singles that were huge. He did one with Eminem, mm-hmm. and he did one with with uh, Travis Scott, which was which debuted at number one. It's called The Scots. Mm-hmm. It's it's their I be, is it their first collaboration? I don't know if it's their first collaboration. Uh, no, it's not their first collaboration. No, but it's but but the, it's the, the first of them as a group. Yes. So the whole idea was that they're recording an EP together. I bet they. I bet that it will come out. It will come out. I think. And that uh, I think the quarantine COVID kind of messed it up, but mm-hmm. like they still put out this one song, and uh, it debuted at number one, which is Keep Cuddy's first number one. We, well, I think we're sort of bearing sort of bearing the lead here because one of the things that we need to, people may not realize about Travis Scott is that the Scott of Travis Scott is a is a um, ode to Kid Cuddy, mm-hmm. Scott Muscuddy. Yes. So it's like Travis Scott's biggest influence, and he's always been pretty transparent about this. And you can hear it, definitely hear it on some of his songs. Absolutely. Is Kid Cudi. Yeah. So that's another thing we haven't talked about. But Kid Cudi's influence on this generation of artists is like... Amongst the biggest it's, of, it's, of any... Yeah, of any amongst of, the biggest. Of, for this decade. And some of it is sonically, and some of it is more like in, in their approach to discussing their emotions and and, uh, and like the kind of like inner turmoil. So the, if you think of the artists that are that you can draw a direct line to Kid Cudi in some ways is like there's like Kevin Abstract, you know, um Jaden Jaden Smith, you know, Chance the Rapper, yeah. Little Uzi Vert. If you think of like Exo Tour Life For is sure. like Tri- very indebted. Trippy like Red. Trippy Red. I would like, I would even argue that Drake would not have been Drake if it weren't for Kid Cudi. Interesting. Because I mean they came out around the same time, but before So Far Gone, So Far Gone would have been recorded to him listening to Cuddy songs. Cuddy songs. Yeah. You know, and I think that emotionality, because he didn't have that in the stuff before that, really. Uh huh. No, it's true. The stuff he, Drake's early stuff is like backpack rap, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so all this to say, and this is not even to mention to the actors that have said Pete Davidson, Timothy mm-hmm. Chalamet are both people. Pete Davidson says is one of those Kid Cuddy saved my lifers. Yeah. He said that on the Breakfast Club. He said that elsewhere. Timothy Chalamet is also like, a huge Kid Cudi fan. Mm-hmm. So Kid Cudi's influence on the world is like massive. Yeah. It's like, it's hard to even, you know, put into words like the influence he's had on people. It definitely isn't like reflected in his critical uh, praise or even in his like sales numbers in yes. the past. I feel like until this album, not until critical plays, but this is, this is, this album, I think it sold 148,000. That's huge. In the first week, which is huge by today's numbers and is Kid Cudi's best debut. Um, and, I don't know. I think it just like it reflects a culmination of like, you know, a lot of a long time and, you know, kind of some 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 detours that people probably weren't expecting. Um, I guess all this to say their approaches, this album, to, let's look getting into this album. Mm-hmm. This album is really it's interesting because it, it does connect to the man on the moon series and Kid Cudi's sound mm-hmm. but it also is updated in a way that like is not reflected in any of Kid Cudi's other music well yeah like one of the things I'm uh, for me that uh is is interesting to see is how much like another how, how much an artist is playing sort of playing in the sandbox with other artists sonically um or whether they're really trying to 
kind of go their own way. Kid Cudi, for most of his career, has been going his own way. And yeah. this this is almost this album to me is like he his like chickens came to home to roost in terms of influence over the last decade. And it's like he, he is it's it's almost this this sort of like cyclical thing where he is the, the people that he influenced. He's using that and taking that influence back on himself hmm, with this record. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because to me, this is a very Travis Scotty record. Yes, it is. It is. Tra- I, I mean, Travis uh, told him he wanted him to rap more on this record. And yeah. there's a lot more of, of Cuddy rapping on it, um, which you, you might have. I don't know how Why you feel you about Why would you sabotage this? him, Travis? Yeah, I don't know. I thought you loved him. Yeah. I don't know that's his, his best mode. No. He's not bad at it. He's not bad at it, but he's not great at it's it. It's like either. him and We Are Who We Are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's not bad at it. He's yeah. not great at it. Yeah. 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 So, um, what did you... You loved the record, I think, on your well, first impression. Well, my first impression, I did really love it. Yeah. In subsequent listens, I still really like it. I don't necessarily love it. Yeah. I do. I just like that he's like really updated his sound and he's like... You know, he sounds happier, like sounds, happier and yeah. healthier and more confident and all of these kinds of things than he had. And his sound is definitely more, it's definitely more focused than he's been in a long time. Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, for all the talk that we've had lately about uh, artists that put out albums that are just like single, they're, they're essentially a bunch of disconnected singles where they're hit chasing. Mm-hmm. This is an album in the very traditional sure. sense. You know, it's split up into four parts, like some of the other um, into multiple parts, like many of the other uh Man on the Moon albums are, mm-hmm. but it's interesting because I, I was listening to this uh, this series of interviews with a bunch of the collaborators from from this this project, and uh, they were talking about their approach and about how. Also, first of all, this is the album where Kid Cudi had a different approach to it, where he was more interested in uh, working with like outsiders, people who weren't really already in his circle, like the production duo Take Take a Day Trip, uh, who are prominently featured on this album. But you know. They were talking about, Doth Genius was talking about how the, their approach to this album and how, you know, generally speaking, Kid Cudi, a Kid Cudi album. Oh, one thing, sorry, this is an aside that we didn't even mention about what's happening for Kid Cudi is like he's going to have an animated series on Netflix oh, yeah. that Kenya Barris is uh, writing and directing, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Man, that bag must be right, bro. He's doing all right. Kid Cudi is, has came up. Um, anyway, so the early part of this album you know, there's a lot of like upbeat songs, you know, yeah. like a lot of like mid tempo, high tempo songs up until the, the point where it hits the, the Skepta pop smoke collaboration show out. Mm-hmm. But right off the bat, I think the songs that I really, that really, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed, um, she knows this. Mm. I just love like the upbeat, like kind right. of vibe to it, even if the lyrics aren't always upbeat. So let's like actually listen to a little bit of, uh, she knows this by Kid Cudi from man on the moon three, the chosen. Here we go step in. Yeah, yeah. We go test it up. Uh, yeah, they got double cuffs. So me and my boo got two fat blunts. Yeah. Roll it up. Dang. Ooh, talk about do. I give two fucks. Wow. But we know Ooh. truth. Talk all the whole shit, burning the burn clips. Now listen, wow, baby, let me set it off. In your itty bitty king, it's such a vision. Oh, you my fix. Use your head and forever home. Working in your sweaty body, love to see it go. Take a ride if you like. Let's see. Do whatever you like. Another one I liked, I liked Dive, which comes up. Which Me comes, too. Yeah, right. this is the one where he's like, I need those fucking vibes. Yeah. You know, I don't, yeah. See, that's the thing. For me, that's like peak what I want from Kid Cudi. Mm-hmm. Like, I think with the exception of a few songs that are, you know, largely in the past for me, if you look at Kid Cudi's lyrics too closely, you, 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 they might 
they might seem a little generic or mundane. Yeah. Or you're like kind of like, corny. Kind of corny. Yes. Yeah. I think I think this is probably why critics like to savage him. Mm-hmm. If you look at it too closely in the light, in the the, the harsh light of day, you're mm-hmm. like, this isn't that special. Yeah. The New York Magazine critic, uh, Craig Jenkins, was talking about how, you know, with Kikadi, the you know, looking at the lyrics too closely, like, that's not the point. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like he says on Dive, I need those fucking vibes. Kid Cudi is those fucking vibes, yes. you know? Like, and that's and that's sort of like what I took away from this album, you know? Like, when going back and re-listening to it, when I first heard it, I obviously, I was like kind of over the moon that he was just back in the sound. And also, just, you know, it was still the Man on the Moon sound, sound but it was updated. Yeah. You know, he raps on a fucking Brooklyn drill beat, beat on yeah. this, you know? Like, it's it's like it's unexpected in those ways. It's still it sounds current, but it's still very much in his like in his lineage, in his legacy, in the sound that he kind of helped propagate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, as someone who's not like a super fan, I, I can't see myself like returning to this record too much mm-hmm. in the future. Um, but on the other hand, like if we if clubs were open, I would probably play some of this stuff while DJing and yeah, like like the, the Skepta song. Yeah, or what even, else? even like I would honestly like to play like um like dive or uh-huh, that'd um, be fun. Like the void or something like that at the yeah, right moment. It'd yeah. be fun to drop those kind of signs just because I, I know there's so many fans who yeah. would go. Damn, we miss Boosie Fade parties. Yeah. We're, um, we're planning to do one more. Whenever yeah. whenever whenever that vaccine super hits, yeah, you yeah. know, when everyone's we hit that herd immunity, yeah. We have that final Boosie Fade party. I know we got a lot of international listeners we've never been to. Yeah. At Boosie Fade, you motherfuckers gotta fly in yeah, for this, yeah. man. Yeah. We'll, amazing. Somebody somebody said we should make it a weekend. We'll, we'll we'll figure out what we're gonna do with it, but I think it should be a weekend. Interesting. Um yeah, we might like you a know, like a like a yeah. We'll do we'll do so a that, pan, we might do a panel. Yeah, so that dates kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So multi night we'll, party. Multi night party. So we'll see. Um another thing I liked about this album, I think all the collaborations are good on this album. Mm-hmm. So he has Skepta and Pop Smoke, he has uh Phoebe Bridgers. She does great. She does incredible. Mm-hmm. That's this is like one of my favorite songs on the album. Yeah. Let's actually listen to a bit of Love and Me, which is Kid Cuddy and Phoebe Bridgers. Please don't hear me now. Hope you listen. It's been centuries, this what it seems to me I've been on this road, my eyes glisten As I stare at Scott, I know he's all I got A best don't matter, babe I'm much stronger, and by much farther Yeah, he's always he's always been pretty good with those indie. That he's indie smart. Stuff. He, had, he did a Saint Vincent this, feature. I, lo- in I love that. I love yeah. that one. The, yeah. um, it's Maniac, I think. Yeah, it's called, I think so. With Cage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that song's really good. Yeah. Um, he's, I, just, I, he's just been. He's like. I mean, sort of like Kanye in the sense. He's just savvy about when is the right time to to collaborate with an artist. You yeah. Know? He has I, kid, kid, uh, Kendrick Lamar on his 2013 album. I mean, the man worked at American Apparel at one point. Like, he it does have real, like, indie roots. Yes, you know what I mean? True. Like, I think, like, one of the things with him about the, you know, kind of what we were talking about originally of him having this sort of Crookers remix is that he was going to parties where crookers are getting played for yeah. sure 100 yeah. he like he wasn't dabbling it wasn't like he was a tourist coming to try and uh-huh. enjoy the sound like he was a part of that world mm-hmm. you know and i think mm-hmm. he I'm, I'm sure that he still is listening like i don't think it's like an a and r is like have you heard of this of course you know course. i think I mean, this is all his, his his stuff hearing how he works it's just not how it happened anyway yeah like true. it's like 
you know, he he very much is like in with his collaborators, and it's kind of like, and then the, it's like, who do they recommend? You know, mm-hmm. like even like having take a day trip on here, mm-hmm. which are production duo who are behind some of the biggest songs the last few years. They did uh, Old Town Road, right? Or sorry, no, they did Panini, right? Um, and what else? I'm, like you've just you've you've definitely heard the producer tag. Day trip took it to ten, right? Um, so. They're 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 all over the Rico Nasty album. Mm. They're just like everywhere right now. Right. Um. So they're they're some of the collaborators on here. I don't know. I I really, you know, I think the collaboration with with Trippy Red's really good. It's called Rockstar Nights. Yeah. I think like once again, like if you look too closely <laughs> at the lyrics, or you know, so, some of the songs are you know can bleed into one another and maybe aren't that mm. distinct. But um, I do think there's a lot of like at least generally good stuff here. Yeah. Like you said, maybe. Uh, you know, I feel like I'll probably listen to this album pretty intensely for a few weeks, and then maybe I'll I'll just add five of these songs to a playlist and never listen to the other, you know, thirteen. 15, yeah. Um, but uh, also, there's a, a deluxe album coming out soon in the new year, so of course you're gonna have those to listen to. Um, but yeah, I think overall, this is like this album is very much like his performance in Who We Are, Who We Are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not great, but it's not bad. Mm-hmm. It's somewhere in between. Yeah, it's like it's good. Yeah, it's this is a a seventy five percent. That's of an exactly album. kind of where I would put it at. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think I think what's most interesting about it is just what it means for Ki- the the yes. Kid Cudi arc in general. Kid Cudi, not just as a musician, but Kid Cudi as a cultural figure and as a celebrity. It's like, you know, this is the year. This is in a lot of ways his breakout year, like tw- like twelve, thirteen years into his career. Mm-hmm. It's like. He's back on the hip hop A list. He's in the Hollywood A list. Yeah, you know exactly. Bizarrely, I was trying to think of it. What a parallel is of like someone who is like so influential in their first couple years, two three years, and then like they're the people they influence become way more successful than him, mm. and then they through their sort of influence. The only thing person this is like an extremely left field reference, but the, the, literally what I thought of is um, there's this Japanese director named Akira Kurosawa mm-hmm. who directed all these samurai movies in the fifties, um, like Seven Samurai and Yojimbo and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was the biggest influence to Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. And by the time that they were coming up in the seventies in the U.S., because you know making Star Wars and Jaws and that kind of thing, Kurosawa had fallen out of the sort of limelight and it was basically retired from filmmaking uh in in um in japan mm-hmm. and then th- as they became sort of like the the next biggest things in american cinema they reached out to him and re- sort of revived his career in japan and he produced some of his best movies in his like last few years wow so that was like that's a very left field reference that's interesting i mean kid Cudi would love that he loves japan yeah and i just <laughs> also think it's kind of like a, like he was the master who sort of built the template for what these other guys did who then i mean you know as, as successful as kurosawa was he's not george lucas or steven spielberg mm-hmm. or probably the two most su- financially successful filmmakers of all time uh but you know he they they came and sort of boosted him up and 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 yeah he you know was i think nominated for an oscar for the first time after that and stuff like that so wow. yeah anyway kid Cudi is carousel exactly that's yeah. what we're leaving you with yeah <laughs> um no but anyway also say you know i'm really happy to see that he's kind of gotten his life like he seems a lot happier he mm-hmm. seems a lot more fulfilled his career is booming it's just nice to see someone who who get his dues who set the groundwork for all these other people be so successful that's right that's right you know that's the thing it's like so much talk happens about like you know um 
of just like whenever somebody passes away before their time you're like we didn't appreciate them enough while they were here mm-hmm. and it, it, fe- it really feels like with this album we're being we're able to appreciate kid cuddy while he's here exactly all right folks that's another episode of catch up thank you very much for uh joining us yeah and if you uh if you have any comments or questions about this episode or anything in hip-hop related hit us up on our on our either our, our instagrams or our twitters um, at rattlebone i think on both yeah and one uh, doesn't have an s I don't one know doesn't have an s i don't know either yeah <laughs> uh you're just gonna have to experiment but yeah. you'll you'll know when you search see. james rathbone look for the long hair yeah exactly uh, or on our uh instagram which is at ketchup podcast also you know join us on patreon as we've mentioned that's what really is going to really help us growing in growing the podcast tell your friends about us Write us a review. There's so many things you can do to help us. And we know a lot of you really love this podcast. So help us spread it. That's yeah. like, it's the best way to, to make sure that we do more. Yes. And um, uh, give us a little ho- like holiday cheer. Yes. And as always, we want to thank uh, the people that help us make this show. First of all, you, the listener. Mm. Um, <laughs> then also our producer, Kyle, uh, our researcher, Corey. Great work again. And uh, the man who makes the music for the show, which is Caleb. That's right. Um, so until next time, be well. And uh, catch the vibes. Yes, catch the vibes. We need those fucking vibes. Yeah.